0: you have your Bibles, please turn with me to James, the fourth chapter, verses 13 through 15. And while you're turning, uh, just a quick, you notice the title of this sermon is Nowhere to Go and All Day to Get There. And uh, it came from a sermon from the pastor that mentored me, uh, Dave Lewis. Dave was a pastor at Balboa Baptist Church, in San Francisco, and while I was going to seminary there uh, at Golden Gate, uh, we'd go out and visit his church members. And if you've ever been in a place like San Francisco or Los Angeles or New York, uh, you know you're going to get stuck in traffic, and it, it's very frustrating. And you know, and Dave just said, "Yeah, here we go again. Everybody, nowhere to go, all day to get there." And. Uh, I said, you know, I think that sounds like a pretty good sermon title. And Dave laughed about it and proceeded to write the sermon. So uh, I I always get a kick out of that. And I wanted to kind of pass on that we kind of live our lives that way, don't we? Oh, nowhere to go and all day to get there. And the reality is that we can be a lot more driven in the things that we do for this coming year. Let us go ahead and read our passage in the Bible. Uh, from James it says come now you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit you don't even know what tomorrow will bring what your life will be for you are like smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes instead you should say if the Lord wills we will live and do this or that but as it is You boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil so it is a sin for the person who knows what to do uh, that is good and doesn't do it and I wanted to kind of give a little story everybody has seemed to enjoy my little history lessons and uh, I I don't mind history I love history Uh, when I was going to Mississippi College uh, it had their own religion department you could get a a bachelor of religion and go be a pastor just from going to mississippi college but i had yes but i had uh desires to go get a master's degree and so my counselor who had been a pastor for 50 some odd years he says uh so uh uh you're gonna you gonna be a pastor i said yeah he says you're gonna go for your master of divinity i said yeah he says uh well uh are you gonna do religious studies here at mississippi college i said yeah he said don't don't He said, instead, get you something that you can use from the pulpit. He said, get yourself a degree in history, or if you wanna make sure your church doesn't go broke, get you a degree in business, or or something like that. He said, get something that you can use in your back pocket. Um, And so I did that, and I became a history major, and my, my area of expertise was the Civil War, although that's a bad title for what happened to the war between the states, Civil War, would have to do with two factions trying to gain control of the government. That's not what happened. One faction said, I'm done with you, I'm going, goodbye. And they formed their own little states. So it wasn't really a civil war, it was a war between the states. But enough of that. As many of you know, tomorrow, we're gonna have New Year's Day. And if any of you are from the South or you have Southern relatives, you know that they do certain things a certain way. Uh, For one thing, you got to eat black-eyed peas. You know that. A lot of people don't know where that came from, but that black-eyed peas was a major answer to prayer in the South. Uh, It goes uh, back to when uh, the Union General, William T. Sherman, led his invading troops on a destructive march through Georgia. The silos of black-eyed peas were largely left untouched because they were deemed fit only for horses and cattle. And so the Union foragers took everything else. They took the horses, they killed the cattle, they plundered the land, and what they couldn't take, they burned or left in shambles. Only two things remained, silos full of black-eyed peas and good old Southern salted pork. And as a result, the humble yet nourishing black-eyed pea saved surviving Southerners, mainly women, children, elderly, and disabled veterans of the Confederate Army from mass starvation and were therefore regarded as a symbol of good luck. And, you know, oddly enough, at the time that the Civil War was going on, they were drafting the Geneva Convention for how you should wage a war. And the United States had representatives at that conference in Switzerland, but they couldn't sign it, because they were in the very process of committing the war crimes that the Geneva Convention said you shouldn't do. Some folks still do the black-eyed peas, and they put a silver dime in the pot as a symbol symbol of good fortune. They also got to have greens with it. Greens represent wealth and paper money. Any greens will do, but in the South, the most popular are collards, mustard, turnip greens, and cabbage. Cornbread, a regular staple among Southerners, in the absence of wheat, symbolizes gold. And it's very good for soaking up the juice from the greens on the plate. Pork symbolizes bountiful prosperity and then progressing into the year ahead. Ham and hog jowls are typical in the New Year meal, although sometimes bacon will be used. Since pigs only root forward, it's a symbolic meaning for moving forward for the New Year. And tomatoes are often eaten with this meal as well. They represent health and wealth. Most Southerners I know will be partaking of this meal tomorrow, and now you know why. (laughs) Getting back to the Bible passage, James was a younger brother of Jesus, and his name is pronounced Yaakov, in case you're wondering. I get a kick out of so many times that we will say a name, and we don't realize that that name is the English pronunciation of that Hebrew word. And so I always like to say, yeah, you probably should not know what they really were called. Yaakov was the name. He was a pillar of the Jerusalem Christian community after Jesus went to heaven. When Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D., James had already been martyred. His epistle survived and was smuggled out of Jerusalem and was preserved by the early church. And when you read James's passage, it is a Christian epistle, but it's very, very Jewish. And so as you read through, and as we're reading through today, I just want to remind you of those things. But we're now on the edge of a new year. And for many people, there's a new baby in their future. Maybe a move to a new city or a new job. Better living conditions, more money, more opportunities, returning to old friends and family, or just to enjoy a change. We have reasons to look forward to a new year, but just as Yakov wrote, we have no guarantee about what tomorrow may bring. We are like smoke that vanishes. And uh, I've got a, there's another passage that says we're like dust. And a, a girlfriend I was dating at the time said, "Yeah, but you'll never find a finer dust than me." <laughs> she didn't last. Anyway, <laughs> what a difference we hope one evening will make. The sun sets on December 30, uh, on December thirty-first, and is when it's risen the next morning, the new year has begun. All that was of the year past has gone. The new year is here. New possibilities, new hopes, new ideas and dreams. Making New Year's resolutions takes the new year seriously as a new start. In making New Year's resolutions, many people try to make possible their dreams, ideas, and hopes. With the morning of one January comes not only a new year, but for many of us, the hope of a new me. The trouble is, more years than not, we quickly realize it might be a new year, but it's still the old me. I got up this morning to do the ministry at our breakfast at VFW, and I got on the scales, and I just got so heartbroken. <laughs> and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, not again. Oh, please, not again. Bless you for all the food. There will be no curses coming from me about the food. It was good. I ate it. I enjoyed it. Bless you. Now comes the payback. <laughs> and I think all of us are going through that a little bit, aren't we? There are really good things about all the hope that is around at New Year's, but there's also stuff that's not so good. New Year's is an opportunity to do some thinking, a kind of inventory on our lives. I have to confess that I have a little bit of New Year's resolution phobia. My worst year was when I joined the military when it comes to making resolutions. I was 19 years old, I joined the Navy, and when I got to basic training, I had it in my head I was gonna make 10 great changes to my life. They ranged from exercising, which the military took care of, every day to eating less, which they also took care of. But, as the end of January rolled around, I realized the Navy didn't really care so much about how much they exercised me for my game. It was for theirs. And when it came to food, whatever I put on that plate had better go down into my stomach. Otherwise, I'm sitting around the trash can eating. Some of you might remember that. You're getting ready to dump your plate, and they go, wait a minute, wait a minute. You took it, you eat it. Yeah, but it really wasn't that great. That's not my problem. So we're sitting there, and we're eating the food, standing around the trash can. And we're all talking about those terrible lima beans, you know, and the, the meat's not as good as, we could probably fix our shoes with this meat, you know, <laughs> eating away. But by the end of January, uh, I had forgotten all my resolutions. And, and by the end of February, uh, I didn't even remember that I had made resolutions. And, those, and, and we realized in our first few days of January, we realized what unrealistic human beings we are as well as how undisciplined we can be at keeping our resolve. The trouble then is that now you have to cope with feelings of failure and guilt before the years even got off to a good start. Before you remembered to write the, the right year at the top of all your checks, you've forgotten your New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions can quickly lead us into New Year's desolation. The month of January gets its name from the Roman god Janus. He is depicted as a two-faced man. One face looking to the past, and the other face looking to the future. And as we think about New Year's resolutions, we can look in three different directions. Facing yesterday, facing today, and facing tomorrow. When it comes to facing yesterday, the Israelites were no strangers to looking back. They were constantly challenged to remember their heritage and God's dealings with them. Moses once encouraged them with these words. Be careful and watch yourself closely so that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them slip from your hearts as long as you live. And that was found in Deuteronomy 4.9. It's important to face yesterday and the year that it closed. If we don't, our resolutions won't last. How many times have we made completely unrealistic resolutions because we didn't take seriously what the previous year had left us. We need to face it honestly, not with our rose-colored glasses or with seeing shadows everywhere, so it might be painful. The last year might have been one you don't particularly want to remember. On the other hand, it might have been so good that now you're so worried it's not gonna continue. Whatever the last year has held, spend a bit of time remembering it might help to do this with a friend perhaps looking through your calendar or your diary or your photos you see as much as we want this year to be a completely new start it does not start in a vacuum it follows what's been and what's been has brought us to where we are lots of people's resolutions are flawed from the beginning because they don't look backwards first I always like to think about last year. What am I thankful for? What is there to be pleased about? What was hard? What did we learn? What habits do we want to get out of? What habits are good ones to keep doing? One wise saint said in the Bible, if we don't learn lessons from what we've seen and heard, then it's like looking in a mirror and then forgetting what you saw. The past is important. We can learn a lot. In fact, if we don't, we'll probably just find things repeating themselves. But after saying all of that, the past isn't where we want to live now. We reflect and review the past in order to resolve to continue on. And God does not intend for us to live in the past. Looking back at his goodness is intended to root us firmly in the rich soil of our faith which provides the environment in which we can grow with them into new things. Now think about that a minute. When you look back on all the things that God has done for you, and really study them, I've got things that have happened in my life, and I know you don't have four or five hours to listen to all of them, but in the time that I have, I will tell you that I've gotten myself into some messes in my life bad ones and God heard my prayers and I look back on what got me out of and I just I just can't believe it I cannot believe what God has done and I'm not saying that to say that I'm so good that God had no choice but to take care of me that's not what I'm saying what I'm saying is that God loves us so much even when you feel like you don't deserve to be loved God loves you so much that he's going to work with you. He's going to help you. He's going to get you where you need to be. Never forget that. There's a a lyric in a song that says, when I think of where I'm going in terms of where I've been, it makes me glad I know the Lord that I've been born again. God doesn't intend us to live in the past Looking back at his goodness is intended to root us firmly in the rich soil of faith. And the Apostle Paul knew about all this. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. And that's found in Philemon, the third chapter. Philippians, the third chapter, excuse me. I'm not good with abbreviations today. (laughs) The next part is facing tomorrow. It's no good going into New Year's just looking over your shoulder. You know, if you're looking over your shoulder all the time, like some people are looking at their cell phones, some of the funniest videos you'll ever see are people looking at their cell phones and what happens to them. We need to try and focus on where we're going. So where are you aiming? What, which direction are you facing in? In facing the new years, we're facing some new possibilities and opportunities. In making resolutions, think perhaps about where and what you want to be this time next year. What habits, what in your character do you want to have developed? Are they ones you want to have shaken off? The old saying is true. If we aim at nothing, we hit it every time. Remembering the what you have learned from the year gone and hope for what might be, what are you aiming for this year? It might be that you want to know your friends better by this time next year or to have grown closer with God, your family, to be healthier, fitter, slimmer, whatever. Think about tomorrow, the kind of person you want to be, the kind of friend, mother, father, sister, brother, employer, employee, friend, neighbor. What and who do you want to share the good news of Jesus with this year? Share it with your closest friend or write it down, put it in an envelope, seal it, And open it on January 1st next year. Try to hold yourself to it. I think one of the finest things that you can ever do is share Christ Jesus with a friend or neighbor. And it's kind of an interesting thing. I tell people that if you're going to do that, the reality is that so many of us do it and we don't ask permission first. And what do I mean by that? You've got to get to know the person that you're gonna share Jesus with. You gotta listen to them. You gotta know about their fears and their hopes and their dreams. You gotta know what they hope their marriage will turn into. You gotta learn these things first. Nobody has the right, and I've got people that call themselves soul winners. I love them to death. These people have results, no doubt. But I have a hard time walking up to somebody and saying, do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? I've had people do that to me and I was in seminary, and of all the things that I had sacrificed, my time in the service, uh, my, my time in school, finally to get to that point in my life and have somebody walk up to me. And I had to kind of kind of grit my teeth a little bit and say, "Why, yes. I know Jesus is my Savior and Lord. I accepted him in May of 1969 when I was 11 years old. so yes, I do know Jesus. And then to have him come back and say, "Are you sure?" It's always good to get permission first by getting to know the person that you're going to share that with. And then when you get the chance to share it, you'll share it based on your heart. You'll base it on their heart. What are their needs? What are their desires? This is what God can do for you. This is where God will take you. This is what I think is best for you. To know my Jesus as your Savior and Lord. If you want to grow and develop relationships, you need to understand that it doesn't happen overnight. We're facing today now, and in the light of long-term perspective, how can you get to where you need to be? If your aim is to be healthier, how do you get there? There's an old saying, so if you've heard it, how do you eat an elephant? You eat an elephant one bite at a time. Inch by inch, everything is a cinch. If you want to get fitter, don't intend to run a marathon in three months. What can you realistically do? I'm 66 years old. If I go for a marathon, I'll probably wind up in the hospital. What can you realistically do? If you want to develop relationships with your children, with your nieces, your nephews, why not resolve to spend an hour more a week with them doing things that they want to do? If you want to grow in your relationship with God, don't resolve to spend an hour every day praying. Make a resolution to spend an extra 15 minutes a day praying and read your Bible and build up to it. Now, I'm not saying don't stretch yourself. I want to encourage us all to set our sights high, to work hard at those things in our lives that we feel are most important. So let's be realistic. Let's be optimistic. The last thing is important is the resolutions you make. Don't just do it on your own. Share your resolutions with those you're closest to. Get them to help you, and you help them. Get support around you. Be a support to others. People who would encourage you, ask you how it's going. People who are rooting for you. None of us were made to do it on our own. None of us have got it together, but together we've got it. I want to share some resolutions with you that ought to be part of your life anyway. There are 20 of them. I'm not saying take on 20. Some of them come from a book called The Twelve Spiritual Disciplines. Uh, Others come from just my life experience and what other people have told me. The first resolution that I would encourage you to do, read your Bible 20 minutes every day. Now, as a pastor, I've kind of got that down. I have to read. Because as I read the Bible, I'm getting ready to give something to you. Something I think you can use. And I read my Bible a lot more. One of the reasons why I enjoyed taking on this interim pastorship was it was going to make me get in the Bible more. And for some of you, you might think, well, that doesn't sound like a motivation. Well, it is to me. Because I see stuff that I have forgotten about. I see stuff I never learned before reading the Bible and so for me it was an encouragement and I encourage you sure reading the Bible consistently might not sound very glamorous or interesting but it really makes a difference and the more you study it the more you find yourself using what you what you read the next one easy for me may not be so easy for you Go to church every week without fail. Is going to church really necessary? Well, I think it is. And New Year's is the perfect time to get back into the habit if it's been a while. Like I, I, I've preached this a few times, this illustration from a, a neighbor that I knew when I was living in Mendenhall, Mississippi. Uh, she was an aunt of mine, <coughs> Junie Mae Brown. And Junie Mae was basically blind and she could barely hear and the deacons had to bring her to church every Sunday. And she was always late getting dressed. Always late. And it just infuriated our deacons so much. One of them finally broke down and said, Judy May, why do you even bother going to church? You can't hear, you can barely see. Why do you go? And Jeannie May said, Because that way everybody will know who I belong to. When I was a child, My neighborhood, Kentwood Drive, Jackson, Mississippi, we would would get up and our church service was at 1045. And most people's church services in my neighborhood uh, was about 8, 830. You couldn't see a car in the driveway. Everybody was gone to church. And the ones that didn't go to church, would the night before, would open up their backyard gate and drive their car in the backyard. Because if they didn't do that, someone was going to come by and say, are you sick? you need? Can I help you? That's the way we were back in the South, back in the 60s. Go to church, make a desire to go to it every week, and you will see such a change. The third one is set aside 15 minutes each day to pray. Now some of you might say, well, I pray every day, Pastor. That's fine. Pray 15 minutes more. Sometimes, for me, it's easier to consume information all day long, whether that's through reading a book, uh, reading an article, listening to a podcast, listening to somebody else's sermon. And those things are definitely good. But we also run the risk of filling our brains with so much noise that we crowd out all the space for quiet reflection and prayer. Carving out 15 minutes of quiet time in prayer doesn't have to be difficult. For example, you could wake up 15 minutes early. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't go back to bed. And instead of turning on the television, instead, sit up in bed and pray. And sometimes you come to the conclusion and you have a solution of why you woke up in the first place. And you pray about it. And once you've got that matter settled, it's amazing how fast you go right back to sleep. You could wake up 15 minutes early. You could pray in the shower. Pray while you're doing your hair and your makeup. Pray during your morning or evening commute. That was one of my favorite times. Rather than get mad at the traffic, start praying. Lord, thank you. It's a good time to be with you, Lord. You know, uh, Pray on your lunch break. Pray while you're making dinner. Pray with your kids before they go to sleep last night. Or, or when they go to sleep every night. And Ask them to pray out loud with you. The possibilities are endless. One of them is join a Bible study. Some of you have a Bible study going already, and thank you for that. Bible studies are awesome. It's not only a great uh, Christian New Year's resolution, but it's great to get different insights. And sometimes you learn stuff. you can find great community and accountability this way as well which are also super important this next one is a spiritual discipline it's called try fasting and I'm not saying fasting to lose weight I'm saying when you fast you're fasting because you're trying to accomplish something fasting is a spiritual discipline that is very powerful but often overlooked maybe this year is the year you want to read up on it and try it out this next one, ask a friend to church. I was happy this morning when I was at uh, uh, when I was uh, at the breakfast, and uh, my friend Clint had asked a fellow named Greg to go to church with him, and Greg showed up at our breakfast and uh, helped us clean up a little bit, and then he went to church with Clint. I thought that was awesome. I wish I had been there to see it, and I know I'll find out later what it was like, but. It's awesome to ask a friend to church. You'd be surprised. Why haven't you come to church with me before? You never asked. You never asked. And what's interesting is you'd be surprised how many non Christian people that you ask to church really want to go. Never done it before. Like to see what it's like. The next one is begin volunteering. Some of you are very good at volunteering. God bless you. But if you've never volunteered for something, pick out something that you really like and volunteer for it. Now, this is, this is going to sound like, oh, yeah, you're a pastor. You have to say that. Tithing. Everybody says, oh, no, not tithing. Oh, no, no. Please, not tithing. All right. When I say tithing, we are called to be generous. If you haven't gotten into the tithing habit yet, now is a great time to start. Even if you can't give a lot, God does not expect you to go bankrupt. God expects that in all the blessings that he's given you, that you might give a little back. And the interesting thing is that as you give, you find that all of a sudden money is rolling in that you never expected before. God wants to bless you in your giving. And you can always work yourself up to larger tithes as your faith grows, and it certainly will. This is one I, this is my personal favorite. Read a certain number of Christian books every month. The Bible is the most important book you'll read all year, but there are tons of other books out there that can help encourage you, challenge you, educate you, and strengthen your faith. My favorite is a book I still have in my library called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. And even though it's been written over 30 years ago, your faith will grow with the reading. When I was going through the Navy, I had people tell me that Jesus really didn't die on the cross. And I didn't have an answer for them. They said, oh, they took Jesus off that cross. He had swooned, he wasn't dead. And they put him in the tomb and they covered him with a nice warm blanket and while he was laying in that cool tomb he revived and that's why jesus didn't die on the cross and i didn't have an answer for him i read evidence that demands a verdict and there's something that happened during the crucifixion event that most of us forget about and what we forget about is that the soldier that was watching the crucifixion took a spear and stuck Jesus under his ribs into his heart. And blood and water came out. In case you don't know, that's a mortal blow. That was a mortal blow to see if Jesus was still alive. Whether Jesus was alive or not was irrelevant. When that soldier got him with that spear, that was the end. That was the end. And we all know that because blood and water came out of that wound, Jesus was already dead. He had given his life, sacrificed for our sins, He had done it. I wish I had that knowledge. I wish I had known to be able to say, look, look, look right here. The soldier stabbed him in the heart. He's dead. He died on that cross. I wish I had that ammunition in my gun. Yes, I was in the army. You're going to hear a lot of ammunition in the gun references. Sorry about that. I know some of you don't like that. But I'm just going to tell you, I wish I had known then. Memorize scripture. Very important. It's amazing. How do I get saved? People will ask you. And you're able, to, you're able to quote from the Romans road and tell them how to get saved. Does God love me? John 3.16 pops right out. All the things that you can memorize and you can say it back and it doesn't come from your experience. It comes from the Holy Bible. It has... Authority, it has power. Memorize scripture and you'll have that ability. Forgive past grudges. The Bible makes it abundantly clear. If you are a Christian, you're expected to forgive those who have hurt you. Now, how many of you like karaoke? A little bit. I personally don't. But we do karaoke at the VFW. And uh, we had to close down karaoke because of a snowstorm. And uh, there was a lady who just loves karaoke. Oh, oh, she just loves it. And she wanted to do karaoke, but nobody else showed up. It was her and the guy that was doing karaoke. And he said, I'm sorry, we're going to have to close this down. It's just you and me. It's, we can't do it. And she said, "Why? Well, certainly we can. You set it up. I'll sing all night long. I'm not going to give any comments on her singing. But I will tell you that she loved to sing. And she was angry at our karaoke guy because he wouldn't continue. And she chewed him out upside down the other. You're here anyway. The equipment's here anyway. Let's do it. And we couldn't. So the next, uh, the next week she came up to him and she said, I am so sorry I yelled at you. I don't know what I was thinking. Of course you can't do it with just me and you. I don't know what I was thinking. And uh, my buddy was quick to tell her, hey, you were forgiven when you walked out the door. You were forgiven when you walked out the door. I understand how much you love karaoke, and I forgave you. Some of us are holding on to grudges. And the funny thing is that you might say, I have forgotten about it. But the question is, have you really? So often we have a grudge and it's there and it's kind of it's in our heart like a little barb and we think about it every now and then when we turn the right way. The reality is that a grudge is something you need to forgive and after you've forgiven it, then you can forget it. This next one, break an addiction. Do you have any addictions in your life right now? I'm not talking about the bad ones. I'm not talking about drug addiction or drinking or any of the other things. I'm just talking about something so small that you don't think about it anymore. Uh, When I was uh, doing chaplain work at St. Mary Corwin Hospital, uh, the doctors were upset with a patient. They wanted to discharge this patient, but the man's blood pressure wouldn't go down. It wouldn't go down. And so I go in to visit, it's the truth in the hospital. If the nurses can't fix it, the doctors can't fix it, the CNA can't fix it, send in the chaplain. So I go in, and, and he's got CNN on the television. And there's lots of bad news. And so this man got so caught up in CNN, he was angry. He was furious. I'm sure some of you can relate. He was so furious, his blood pressure wouldn't go down. And it had nothing to do with what was going on with his body and what was going on in his mind. He was addicted to CNN. And I said, Excuse me. Uh, <coughs> I'd like to turn your channel to our classical station. Would you let me do that? Sure, album, sure, go ahead. So I turned it to it, and some Mozart came on, and he was listening to it, and we're jamming to it, talking to each other. And then I leave the room and I said, "Go take his blood pressure." They took his blood pressure, and it was normal, and they discharged him. <laughs> they came back and said, "Well, Chaplain, what did you do?" And I explained, you had an angry television viewer. His blood pressure is not going to go down. Turn the television off <clears throat> and so many of us you can you can reach in your wallet you can reach in your purse you can reach in your pocket and pull out a cell phone how many of us are addicted to our cell phones I always like to give a little test about addictions uh, I did this with one of our uh, guys at uh, work today uh, I said uh, I had a general one time that uh, when it came to training He said, nothing worthwhile happens after midnight. So if if your training goes into midnight, you probably should rethink it. Same thing is true of our addictions. If your addiction takes you into your sleep time, and you miss sleep because of it, I said it wrong, excuse me. If your habit takes you into your sleep time, and you wake up the next morning groggy because of it, your habit is an addiction. It's not a habit. The next one, find a mentor or an accountability partner. Somebody that you can share things with. And I don't mean your wife or your husband. I'm not saying that. I mean somebody that you can talk to uh, about things that are going on in your life. It's good to have a mentor. New Year's resolutions, they're good to have. Because if he's losing weight and you're losing weight, for example, you can kind of keep each other on track. Number 14, be a more loving, involved wife, husband, mother, father, or friend. I think we're all guilty of letting our relationships slide a little bit at times. Make this year the year you change that. Don't promise to do better. Be specific. Here's another one. Be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. It can be difficult to be content in America. There's always stuff on the television and commercials surrounding us, reminding us that we really do need a new car. We really do need that air fryer. That's my personal one. We really do need that air fryer. We really do need new living room furniture. We really do need this and that. But this might be the year that you want to go about fighting that urge. Perhaps you'd like to try a no-spend month. And then save that money for something important, like giving it to charity. The next one is keep the Sabbath. I don't mean go to church on Sunday. I mean that God has set aside in every one of us the need for a day of rest. Just like he created the heavens, and on the seventh day, he rested. The same thing is true of us. This is another biblical biblical guideline that's easy to overlook, yet most of us would freely admit we don't get enough rest and we don't get enough reflection. And then when vacation time comes, we try to make it all up in two weeks. Can't do it. Think about keeping the Sabbath. Think about on a Saturday morning when you you could be doing a whole lot of stuff. Instead, maybe you go outside, sit down, Look at something pretty and drink some coffee. Maybe sit down and and read a book that you always wanted to read. Do something that's restful and relaxing for that day. Keep the Sabbath. This next one, I'm as guilty of as anybody else. Refuse to gossip. Refuse to gossip. How many of you have seen that Norman Rockwell painting called The Gossip? How many of you have seen it? It's awesome. Starts out with a guy. He's messed up. And the gossip of the town is talking to the neighbor. Look at what this guy did. And it goes through about 15 different people. Until finally it comes back to the guy that did it. And now he's in the face of the gossip saying, you told. Mm-hmm. Refuse to Gossip. If you have something good about someone, spread that. Spread that. But if it's something bad, and he or she has told that to you, keep the confidence. He needed to unload something. She needed to tell you something that was bothering her. Keep the confidence. When you're in the car, and you're listening to the news, or you're listening to secular music, I might ask you to kind of turn that dial and find you a Christian music station. Especially if you're going to be in the car for about an hour. Nobody likes to drive a long distance. I don't like driving to Denver if I I can possibly avoid it. But if when I turn it to a Christian music station and I listen to that, all of a sudden my spirits start getting a lift. All of a sudden I'm reminded about how much God loves me. All of a sudden I'm reminded how much I'm supposed to love other people. And the more I listen to it, it makes a world of difference in my Christian life. It changes my mood, my outlook, and even the atmosphere in the car. And listen to it as home as you can. Two more to go. Stop complaining. Are you guilty of complaining? It's easy to complain. It comes out of us. It's natural. Philippians 2.14 reminds us to do everything without complaining and arguing. The last one is my personal favorite. Do random acts of kindness. What is that? I don't know. But everybody has an opportunity to do something that we can do that's going to help somebody a little bit. And sometimes that random act of kindness can change everything. I knew a single mother who lost her job when I was uh, up in uh, uh, Los Angeles. I was in Long Beach. She lost her job, and a bunch of the fellas found out about it. And they went to the grocery store, and they bought her five or six bags of groceries. And when she wasn't looking, they snuck up on the porch, and they knocked on the door and ran away. And when she opened the door and saw all those groceries, she couldn't believe it. And then she went to the landlord and said, "Um, I don't have the rent. And the landlord said, yeah, you do. Four or five guys came by and paid it for you. Mm -hmm. Random acts of kindness. That young lady had been wrestling with drug addiction. She had been a prostitute. And when the guys at Long Beach Baptist Church did that for her, changed her whole attitude about Christianity. We prayed for her, and a new job came along, better than the one she had. And she stood up in church and testified that she will never doubt God again. God was using us. We're a bunch of crooked sticks, you know that. God was using us in our crooked way to do righteous things for that lady. It changed everything. So I encourage you this New Year's to face yesterday and all that the last year was. To face tomorrow and all that you want to do and to be in this New Year. And to face today, to work out how you'll get there. And then to face all those around you and the God above you with the gratitude for the life in this New year. Go on. Don't just seize the year the day. It's time to seize the year. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we got what we believe is a blank slate in front of us. Help us, Lord, to be ready to write wonderful things on that slate. Help us, Lord, to be about doing the things that you've called us to do so that we'll never be ashamed. Help us to be about loving our fellow men and women, glorifying you and showing the world that you exist and how you love us so. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.